with the old Ronnie Lott story. You oh, know, get your like, finger cut yeah, off. Just cut it off yeah. so I can play. And like that's something we glorify yeah. when it's like, dude, you just cut your finger yeah. off. <laughs> like no one is, you know, guys playing through concussions and, you know, all of these things are, are rewarded by fans and media as being tough and being gritty. And if you don't perform, you're considered soft and weak. And it's just like maybe we need to change our own mentality and how we view athletes and how we judge them. Welcome to the Edge of Sports Podcast. I'm Dave Zirin. We are back. This week we are talking to Michael Lee with The Athletic. He's their national NBA writer. We're going to be talking to him about the season that was and some of the tea leaves of free agency and what they tell us about the state of the league. Also, I've got some choice words about everybody's favorite rebel athlete these days, Megan Rapino. And I've got Just Stand Up and Just Sit Down awards. But first, live, face to face, here we go. Michael Lee. Oh, Michael Lee, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing great. Um, I'm doing great. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because this is uh, my show and I get to ask whatever I want, instead of diving right in with the NBA, I understand that you were uh, at a journalism camp this weekend, and yeah. I would just love to hear what that was about, what you did, and who the young people were that you were speaking to. Yeah, um, every year uh, at University of North Carolina, they have this camp called the Carolina um, Sports Journalism Camp for high school students um, who have an interest in becoming sports journalists. And it's been going on for, I think, about six or seven years, and I was one of the original um, participants in it, uh, primarily because North Carolina, even though I went to Florida a and University, you know, North Carolina is very dear to me um, because it's where my passion for journalism really took off. Mm. Um, I spent a summer there in high school um, at this th- uh, with this event called the Rainbow Institute, and it actually coincided with the uh, Dean Smith basketball camp. So I was there um, in, in, in high school uh, before my senior year, and it was a journalism camp. And so we got to learn from like all these great journalists and some of the original members of like National Association of Black Journalists. Like I was uh, a guy named Merv Albuspin, who was at the Louisville Courier Journal for a long time, was somebody who was a big influence on my career because he just gave me the whole history of how a lot of black journalists wound up getting caught up in the civil rights movement, not necessarily um, because newspapers just said, hey, we need to hire black people, but Mm -hmm. it was more like, oh, wow, we need to cover these riots, we need to cover these events, and we can't just send Mm -hmm. a a white reporter there. And so he would just give me a lot of wisdom then, and so that's when uh, it really hit me that I could probably pursue a career in journalism. So fast forward to however many years later, um, one of the professors at UNC, um, Jan Yap, she um, asked me if I wanted to participate in this high school sports journalism camp at UNC, uh, and I was like, I'd love to, you know, because it was great that they even thought of me, you know, yeah. 26 years later, considering I didn't go to UNC. I did apply. I got accepted. But that's another that's another story I only didn't necessarily get into. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm glad how my life turned out. and I'm also glad that I still get to go back to UNC. Um, I have a, a soft spot for uh, Carolina based on that experience I had. Are you a Tar Heels guy when it comes to uh, college basketball? Um, I'm not really a college basketball fan. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm more of an NBA, just like a snob, 
Yeah. Uh, I watch every now and then. And honestly, because of what happened, I'll just tell you, uh, I got accepted to UNC, did not get scholarship money. Um, and it upset me. So I went to a school that gave me scholarship money. And then UNC called and asked why I didn't attend. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, because I thought I qualified for a scholarship and I didn't get a scholarship offers. And then they looked up my transcript while we were on the phone and said, oh, there must have been some mistake. Uh, I don't know how this slipped through, but um, just know that if you've been accepted at UNC, you can always come. You can always transfer. And I was just sitting on the phone like, what? <laughs> how yeah. did you all drop the ball? And so I was probably more furious. So about for about 10 years, I actually hated UNC basketball okay. because of what happened. Um, but uh, but I, I think, like I said, it turned out well. I went to Florida A&M. But anyway, this camp with kids. Uh, this weekend, um, I, I, I talked to them about just uh, game story writing, uh, social media, and um, was in a panel discussion just talking about uh, career journey and where I think the business is headed. Mm. And so um, it was it was pretty cool just to see young young people who are into this business, and it's also uh, cool to educate them on where the business has grown over the last two decades to where. Now you can actually become sort of a celebrity journalist and be a TV personality and be concerned about your brand building and all these things that never were right. thought about, at least when I first started doing this. And so their um, mindset about what journalism is and what it can do for them is different than maybe what it was for me. So I had yeah. to basically let them know that, you know, you got to grind, you got to pay some dues um, and that there is no... You don't just don't wake up and become, you know, Michael Wilbon or Stephen A. Smith or somebody like right. you have to really put in some work. Wow. That's that's fascinating. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, long story. No, no, no. <laughs> I mean, I was just thinking to be to be a fly on the wall so I could know where this business is going. Because I, I think. Oh, that's, man. It's a real question. Yeah. It feels like we've been in flux for about five to ten years as far as how how is profit going to be made? How are yeah. uh, these jobs going to be supported? Yeah, I was like, nobody knows anything. You know, everybody's guessing. Um, we just don't know, uh, like you said, uh, how do you generate revenue off clicks? And how do you mm-hmm. generate revenue off, like, I mean, I work at a subscription place uh, site now, and it's pretty clear. If people subscribe, mm-hmm. we get paid. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, and that's, that's sort of, uh, what's the old... Uh, Andre 3000 line Oh, uh, from Elevators. To the end of the week, I live by the beat like you live check to check. If you don't move your feet, then I don't eat, so we like neck to neck. Yes, we done come you know, It's so like interesting <laughs> you just said that, though, because, and I could show this to you on my little cheat sheet here. My next question was actually about Outcast. Oh, okay. I'm not even joking around. <laughs> because before, before we jump into NBA, I, I, was, I was thinking about you when I saw this. Like, did you have a reaction? You probably saw this, the viral video of all the rookies being asked questions about yeah. the 1990s. Yeah. And them not knowing who Outkast was. Did, did that just make you sort of shrug your shoulders and say, well, young people? Or was no, it? No, it made me realize that, you know, if somebody wanted to, you know, play, uh, I don't know, the Manhattans or stylistics or somebody and mm. play their music and say, how can I pick out who these guys are? I probably wouldn't have because mm-hmm. I was born after they were, you know, at their peak. I mean, these kids, That the thing that spooked me out about this draft is that Zion Williamson was born in the year 2000. Mm-hmm. And you know, remember uh, Conan O'Brien when he used to have oh, the, uh, in, in the, the year 2000. 2000. Yeah. Like, Zion is from the year 2000. <laughs> you know, and it's like, wow, these are really young kids. Yeah. And Outkast last, like, you know, major, uh, you know, the, the speaker box Love Below came out in 2004. Mm-hmm. So a lot of these guys were, 
three. Yeah. Um, some of them may have been four when it came out. So how are they even going to, how's Outkast even going to be relevant to them? Right. Um, so they're going to grow up, you know, thinking about some of these guys that mm-hmm. I probably don't care about now who are out. So, yeah, so I, I looked at it more of not, it, it just lets me know how old I am, but also how young <laughs> these guys are. But I didn't hold anything against them. I, I held it more against their parents. Ah, I got you. <laughs> for not educating them. Because I know that I have a son and I'm playing, you know, my old school R&B, my old school mm. rap, and without the curse words. But anything I can, you know, so he gets a sense of music, like real music. And he probably, he doesn't even know what's on the radio now. So, mm. um but yeah, that's his, that parents, that, that's some bad parenting. You got to play some outcast for your kids. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the awards just came down um, for the NBA, and I, I did want to ask you this. Um, across the board, uh, Giannis MVP, Donkic, uh, Rookie of the Year, Gobert, Depoy, Defensive Player of the Year, Siakam, Most Improved. Were you happy with how the awards went down? Was that pretty much scratch for you, or were there some things that you thought maybe should have gone down? Yeah, there was not a single selection that surprised me. Um, Everything went the way I thought it should have gone. Um, What was really impressive about all of those uh, names and all those uh, selections is that the MVP, Defensive Player of the Year, Rookie of the Year, and Most Improved were all international players. Oh, yeah. And, you know, you got – in, uh, inspiration from say a guy like Giannis and Siakam who are both have roots in Africa I mean Giannis is from Greece but his family is mm-hmm. clearly from Nigeria um, and then Rudy Gobert uh, you know from France and uh, I believe of Algerian from, descent yeah, yeah yeah and then you have uh, Slovenia so you have all of these nations um, and you, it lets you know where the league is headed um, and you know where it's been is that you look at guys like Dirk when he won the MVP in 2007 and like he was the first European MVP and you were like oh man the league is changing mm-hmm. and you started to see it that same year when Tony Parker won MVP at the finals but the face of the league has always been an American mm-hmm. you know we've always had Kobe LeBron KD you know the 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 Steph Curry you know the guys who are really the ones, you know, out front and, um, you know, being the face of the league are American players. But I, I think that we're transitioning now to where if the best players are going to wind up being international, that you're going to have mm. a guy from Greece being the face of the league, which is, is unusual, you know. Amazing. Um, I think you've seen it in hockey, obviously, where, you know, uh, someone from outside of the Canada sometimes can even be the uh, the face of the league. But now you're in baseball – there's always, you know, there's not going to be, I think, a Dominican face of baseball, even mm-hmm. though they're great. You know, they're the best players generally. Um, but I think that right now, international players, there will be a time, I think, and Giannis could be the guy um, who could be the face of the league as um, as someone from overseas, which is, it, it, I think that was what stood out to me. Um, mm. And also, we need to get rid of this stupid award show. Oh, yeah, it's terrible. Nobody wants it. Right. Nobody asked for it. Nobody needed it. What we need is to go back to the old way Mm -hmm. where you hand out the awards during the playoffs because um, there's nothing better than that moment when a guy can hoist the MVP trophy in Mm -hmm. front of his hometown fans and just have them just get that standing ovation and show their appreciation. Like Giannis deserved that kind of moment from Mm -hmm. the people of Milwaukee to just share in the fact that he was MVP and he represented Milwaukee, the first Milwaukee MVP since Kareem. Mm. Um, 
you know, you go back, you know, you got to go back, you know, 45 years for that to happen. And you can't even, Milwaukee has to watch it on TV. Right. You know, they should have been able to share that moment with him on stage. And um, he should have been able to give that really great speech, you know, um, at some sort of press conference. Yeah. Because you know? um, I, I, I still remember KD's, you're the real MVP. I remember being there for Derrick Rose's uh, MVP speech when he said, Mama, we made it. Mm. And, you know, he broke down talking about his mother. You know, those are moments that, you know, I don't I don't think you can really capture if you're in a ballroom or wherever they held they hold that event. Um, I think if you can just have that, you know, and, and also it, it motivates guys like uh, you go back to 1995 when um, I remember the story. Somebody told me that, you know, David Robinson got MVP and Hakeem Olajuwon standing across from him and Akeem gave him the business, oh, yeah. you know, that whole series. And he, you know, did the dream shake move that everybody talks about all the time. But I heard from somebody that really what infuriated Akeem wasn't just that he um, it wasn't just that <clears throat> Dave Robinson got the trophy in front of him, but it was that I think the day before he had done an interview and he was talking about all the great centers that he has to go up against on a nightly basis and just what it meant for him to win MVP. Mm. And he omitted the reigning MVP. And so dream heard that his name was not mentioned and just said okay i'm going to destroy david robinson and those type of stories happen because the mvp is announced at a time when people care right. you know if the mvp is announced you know after the season you know uh it's over and we already know who the champion is and who the finals mvp is like who cares of, mm -hmm. of a debate about james harden and Giannis Antetokounmpo in june when that's what we were talking about in in april Exactly. Minds are on other things. By Absolutely. June, we're we're focused on free agency. Absolutely. Everybody's like, who? what's next? We got a draft. We got the other things to worry about. Nobody wants to look back. Absolutely. But before I ask you any questions about free agency, um, I, I did want to just get a last assessment for you. Like, what, what kind of taste in your mouth did these finals leave for you? It was a good rough punch. with the injuries. Um, great to see the rise of Toronto because of this long, you know, if, if, if you're a fan of a franchise that always seems to be middling. Yeah. And it sort of cuts against that narrative that says you either have to be terrible or you have to be great. It shows that you can build from yeah. a mid-level, play some smart uh, GM games and find yourself a champion. But, I mean, the... The rack of injuries. Do you, do you buy the idea that the injuries, that it wasn't just freak occurrences, but it has to do with wear and tear? Can we say that unequivocally, that that's why you see KD and you see Clay go down? Or is that just a, a way to try to understand this freakish hurt, bad luck? Well, I think that with, in the case of, um, you know, KD and, and Clay, those injuries occurred probably because they shouldn't have been playing. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if it was necessarily wear and tear. I mean, you get hurt. Um, I mean, obviously, you, you play, you know, Clay especially, you play over 100 playoff games over five years. Um, eventually, the bill comes due. Yeah. You know, because he's, he's one, of the, been one, of the, one of the more durable players um, in the NBA for his whole career. He never really dealt with any kind of injury. So I think when he, you know, strained his calf, uh, not his calf, his hamstring, you know, during the series, he probably was like, well, I played through everything, so I'm just going to play, when he probably shouldn't have played. Mm -hmm. um, and he put himself in a situation where he wound up compromising himself and, and um, you know, hurting the other leg and tearing his ACL, which may not have occurred if he, you know, doesn't hurt his 
hamstring, you yeah. know, and then have to play on that for a couple. You see games. the way he tried to support all his weight when he went down yeah. on the one leg. Yeah, and I think that if if he's not hurt, then you know to begin with, um, that that that's 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 he doesn't re-injure, you know, or get hurt the uh, the other leg. As for KD, to me that uh, that's probably what sours my whole view of these mm-hmm. finals. Um, you know, you had two guys, two all, all-time greats, get hurt. And you know, possibly lost for next season. That 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 pains me more than anything that happened during the series. And I think when KD got hurt, and I, I wrote a column about it, how <clears throat> you know history deserves to have Kevin Durant more than these finals did. You know, um, it was just a lot of factors that you know pushed him onto the court before he should have been. I, I think his body told him that this wasn't his moment, but a lot of small people pushed him to think mm-hmm. that it was. You know. Um, he was in a bad situation where if he didn't play, right, if he was cleared by all these doctors and he didn't play, he's going to look like a quitter, like mm-hmm. he didn't care. Um, and then you, you – but if he, you know, he goes out there and plays and he sacrifices his body, and now we're sitting with regret, like why do we even push him out there when we knew that he was vulnerable to something happening? Maybe they said that all they could do was re his calf. Maybe he wouldn't hurt his Achilles, but – Anytime you go out there and you play on an injury, you have a chance to make something worse. Um, and so I look at it where, you know, how much are players, how much do we need, need to take a step back as media to where we praise guys for playing hurt and we criticize guys for not playing hurt when you look at what happened with Kawhi Leonard, right? Mm-hmm. He, um, last year in San Antonio, he was like, I don't feel right. Mm-hmm. The doctors are like, you're fine, you're clear, you can play. And he just kept saying, I don't, I don't feel good. I don't feel right. And there became this whole back and forth to the point where he was like, I don't trust you all anymore because mm-hmm. I'm telling you I don't feel good. You're telling me I can play, and so I just need to get out of here because if you all don't trust me, you don't believe me that I'm, I'm really hurt, then I, I can't really be here anymore. Mm-hmm. So he forced himself out. He gets traded to Toronto, and they're like, okay, we're going to load manage you. We're going to give you days off. We're going to make sure your body feels right every time you go out there on the court. And we're going to make sure you're ready for the playoffs. And he goes out and he just destroys everybody in the postseason, has one of the great postseason runs we've ever seen. But it it goes proof to players that, you know, if you are a guy like Kawhi who can block out all the noise, who's not really doesn't care what people say because he doesn't really pay attention to what people say, um, you can go through it and deal with whatever hate comes your way and then know you feel vindicated in the end that you followed whatever faith you have in yourself. Um, and I felt that KD was put in a bad spot, not just because of you know maybe being cleared, but also just over these last three years, so many people tried to discredit him and discredit the Warriors and what he accomplished there, and he never – they just never wanted to give it, give it up to him. Never yeah. wanted to give him his props for being a finals MVP. Never wanted to give him the props for going to a team that had already won a championship with Adam and emerging as the best player on that team. Um, you know, he, he made a great uh, comment to me last year during the um, finals after he won the second MVP. He was like, it's easy to be the best player on a team that doesn't have a lot of talent. Mm. It's harder to be the best player on a team that's loaded with talent. So you look at that Warriors team and all the potential future Hall of Famers on that squad. He goes there. He becomes the best player on that team. Now, Steph may have been the most valuable, however you want to phrase it, uh, most important in terms of the system. But he went there, became the guy 
that everyone looked to as sure. the guy. And that's hard to do. Mm -hmm. um, it's hard to go to a place <clears throat> and not completely disrupt or change their identity and, and what they are. Um, and I, I just, I, I got to ask you, you're putting a lot of the, uh, the onus of Durant going back onto the court on the psychological factors of how the media was talking, how perhaps some of his teammates were talking, fans. according to some reports, certainly fans, certainly we know about Kevin Durant being, let's just call it social media sensitive in yes, terms of is. what's out there. Uh, you, you didn't mention the doctors or the medical staff. And, you know, I do this show on Pacifica with Atan Thomas, and th that's the gong that he's been hitting mm, over and over yeah. again is about team medical staffs not having the best interest of the player first and foremost. And Yeah, they're under, pressure to, they're under pressure to get players on the court, mm -hmm. you know. Um, they got to make sure that guys are out there. And if they're not, then they're going to look bad. Like, why is this guy still hurt? You know, why can't you – get them can't you fix them right yeah we hired you to get this guy out there and um and yeah i mean i think that there is some blame on them but um i think also um uh, you know they're human too you know i think they make mistakes sometimes you may have a bad reading sometimes mm -hmm. you may that's why you got to have you know second third sometimes fourth opinions to make sure that you know you just don't put all your faith in just the team now, i guess durant had his own people who approved him as well which I think maybe made it probably easier for him to say, okay, I'll do it. But being around him um, or just watch, observing him each day, you know, and just how he looked, he never looked like he wanted to play. Mm -hmm. He looked like I have to play, which is different. You know, I think when you get on the floor and you just have this sort of confidence that I'm going to go out there and I'm going to be Kevin Durant, mm -hmm. um, you're going to play differently than you're like, man, I know these guys need me, so I'm going to go out there and play for them. And I think if you have that mentality, you're sort of backing into it and you sort of open yourself up probably to more injury than if you feel good, you're confident in your body, you're confident in what you can deliver, and you go out there and perform at a level that we're accustomed to seeing. I mean, I, he played, he's got 12 points and 11 mm -hmm. points in 12 minutes, which was phenomenal. Like you realize just how special he is that he could do that after missing six weeks with, you know, and come back in the finals and just, just hit threes like crazy. Um, so he's a great player. Um, but I, I think that definitely the medical staff needs to be held accountable. But I also know that when it comes to players in, in, in this league or any league football, um, if you give them the option to play, they're sure. going to want to play. Um, mainly because of, you know, we always hail guys who who are injured and come out there and perform. It's like, what's the old Ronnie Lott story? You oh, know, get your like, finger cut yeah, off. Just cut it off yeah. so I can play. And, like, that's something we glorify. Yeah. When it's like, dude, you just cut your finger yeah. off. <laughs> like, no one is, you know, guys playing through concussions and, you know, all of these things are, are rewarded by fans and media as being tough and being gritty. And if you don't perform, you're considered soft and weak. And it's just like maybe we need to change our own mentality and how we view athletes and how we judge them, you know, because, you know, your health, you only have but a small window to play, mm -hmm. right? And if you're a guy like Kevin Durant who has is a basketball junkie, you know, has been playing mm -hmm. your whole life nonstop, I don't think anybody can really question if you love the game or if you want to get out there and compete. Right. You know, and I thought that was one of the worst things that was coming out of that 
is that people are like, does he even care? And I'm mm-hmm. like, and I realize fans are irrational, but it was from media, mm-hmm. you know, hearing people say, you know, well, you know, he might have one foot out the door. And it was just kind of tacky how, you know, that kind of just sort of permeated through all the coverage. Um, and also just from the reaction of fans, it's like, oh, well, you know, he's already thinking about going to the Knicks or going here or there. And uh, I thought it was just unfair because um, I know how sensitive he is to all that. And I also think that it's, it's, it's I find it amusing that, you know, we, we mock KD for being sensitive and, and being aware of these things, but we all are. Sure. You know, some of us can huh. react to it different, you know, like you or I probably can, don't care if somebody on the internet, you know, attacks us because we've been through it. But what if you're, you know, you're, you know, you're the best at your craft, right? And you have no one speaking up for you. Sure. So, or you're a target yeah, for being the best. You're, you're, yeah. Yeah. So, um, and at some point you just say, you know, enough. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not going to let you tell my story i'm gonna tell you how i really feel and i think he's like us in that way he's like normal he's a normal person um in that respect if i have friends that if somebody says something bad on them on social media they go right back at him right mm-hmm. and we're like hey you know calm down I was like right. no i'm not gonna let him say that to me he's just like everybody else he's just a remarkable bas- remarkable basketball player mm-hmm. but he's more like the people who are attacking him they have a lot more in common with him off the court Right. You know, and I think that's what makes him kind of endearing to me. You know, as we're recording this show, just so the audience knows, we're in that um, sort of in-between time, the DMZ, if you will, the demilitarized zone of free agency (laughs) where it started. But other than a couple of uh, early release reports, we don't exactly know where everybody's going to go. So I ask you this. You know, knowing that, you know, that we might actually know the answer to this by the time we go live <laughs> with this pod. But just because we're talking about Durant, I have to ask you, do you have any sense of where he would go? And if you were advising him, where would you tell him to go? Um, I think it's tough, um, you know, um, because you have the emotion of the finals and the injury playing a factor probably in your decision more than it did when beforehand. Right. If he did, if he didn't play in the finals at all. I think he probably go into free agency a little less stressed, right? Because now you have to take in, you know, um, where am I going to go that's going to have a medical staff that can make sure that they get me back on the court and I'm going to be 100%. You know, you got that has to be something you consider. Um, and then you have to think about, okay, if I'm going to miss a year and I come back, which team is going to require me to be the guy who I was when I left and can I be that guy for this franchise that's going to expect me to be a savior if I go, mm-hmm. say, to New York? You know, if I go to the Warriors, Steph Curry's going to be there. Clay Thompson's going to be there. There'll be guys who I'm used to playing with who can carry me for a little bit until I regain my rhythm, you know? And is that a better situation for me? Or do I try to make sure I play with a Kawhi? Or somebody who can mm. help me, you know, take some of the pressure off of me, release some of the pressure so I'm not just the only guy in whatever city. So I think it, it there's a lot of things that go into the decision now. Um, and I think a lot of it is going to depend on where some of the dominoes fall and what some teams do in terms of acquiring enough help so that um, a year from now um, when he's ready to come back and play, um, things are already lined up for him to just come out and, and play where would well. You, where would you nudge him to go? 
Would you say, look, Eastern Conference, uh, easier road, Brooklyn, big city? Yeah. Would you say, would you say, I mean, nobody seems like wants to go to the Knicks, which breaks my heart, <laughs> but like, would you say, hey, you bring the Knicks back, you're legend for life? I mean, Golden State, though, you know the I under, territory. I, I'll just say this I understood the whole Knicks thing. I, I, I get you mean it. why people don't want to go or why people I, would? I get go. why no one wants to play there, but I also get why he would want to play there. Mm hmm. Um, because, uh, you know, with James Dolan there, um, that is just, you know, things rot from the top down, yeah. right, in, in professional sports. If ownership is bad, the franchise is going to be mm -hmm. bad. You rarely see it a situation where uh, a player or a, uh, or a GM or anybody else can just negate bad right. ownership. Um, and that's what's been holding them back for the last 20 years or so. Oh, um, but if you're Kevin and you're like, I've worked to become the best. Um, if I go to New York, I will be a legend forever. If I can win there, I saw the love that Melo got and gets from Knicks fans, even though he never won. And um, and I think that there is an appeal because there's an ego there um, that, you know, think about this. I mean, if, if you, there are 450 players in the NBA and that, and there are what nine billion people in the world, so you are a select individual mm -hmm. to not only be one of the four fifty, but now to be number one or number two or whatever you want to say. So if you're gonna work that hard to be at the top of your craft, to be at the top of your profession, how can anybody tell you that you can't do it? Right. You've already done something that nobody else in the world can do. He says, I'm Kevin Durant. You know you my know, work. Yeah, you know who I am. Yeah, you right? know who I am. <laughs> so if you know who I am, then you're not going to be intimidated by that stage. And mm. if you've already, you know, um, won two championships, you've already been through the intense grind of, um, you know, the scrutiny, um, the nonstop negative energy coming at you from fans, from playing in Golden State. What is New York going to do to you? Yeah, that's not going to be anything that's going to scare you. Um, well, if you're on the other side of that table, though, are you scared by the Achilles at all? You don't. You don't hear that so much as people are debating um, this. But yeah. the idea that he just won't come back as Kevin Durant. You know, I if I hadn't seen it four years ago um, when he broke his foot, and I believe he had a Jones fracture, which is not something that's easy to come back from. Mm. And he missed uh, right. all but 27 games that year. He played 50, missed 55 games that year. <clears throat> and I remember writing at the time that, you know, Durant is, you know, facing a really difficult stage in his career because we don't know if he'll come back and never be the same. He came back and was better. Mm -hmm. Now, there was, there, at, at the fact that he's 30, there's going to be a natural decline that comes from, you know, age. Um, but if you look at his game, you look at how diligent he is in, um, you know, in, in his work. You know, he's a, a perfectionist. He's somebody who, when he recovered from his foot injury, he did all the work that needed to be done. He did everything that was required of him. He, so much so that no one even really remembers that he had an injury, an injury that cost him just a uh, 27, uh, 27 games that year. Yeah, I forgot about that as well. I mean, so yeah, it's, was, it's not even really discussed. Time. But he was so diligent in his recovery that it wasn't even a story when he came back. Because mm. he came back and then he wound up becoming, uh, having, entering his free agent year and going to the Warriors and, and leading the, the Thunder to the Western Conference Finals, going up 3-1 on a 73-win mm. team. 
So I, I, I have confidence that he'll be able to come back just because I know the work that he puts in to be the best. I know the pride that he takes in his, in his work. And I, I, have a, I have confidence that he'll be diligent. And at seven feet tall, um, he'll be able to adjust his game to the point where, you know, if he can't be an explosive, you know, off the ball, you know, um, not the ball, but um, on the ball kind of mm-hmm. creator, penetrator, um, you know, a playmaker, that he'll find a way to adjust. Mm-hmm. I mean, you saw how he played in that uh, 12 minute stre- or 11 minute stretch in the finals where he was limited considerably, but he's still the best player on the Stunning. floor during yeah. that stretch. So um, I have faith. I don't think it's that much of a risk considering um, the, the type of worker that he is. Now, we're having this conversation about injuries, about load management. Uh, th- there seems to be legit chatter about even shortening the season. <laughs> if, if you're commissioner, do you do that? Do you take that seriously? Or is there just too much money to be lost? Everybody's eating now, mm. right? Um, I always go back to 2004 in the Ron Artest, um, you know, Indiana Pacer incident as like the, the, the bottom, right? Mm-hmm. That was the lowest point for the league. And I think that, you know, 15 years later, that's everybody's something, eating. Everybody's eating. The league has never been healthier. Players are making more money than ever. Franchises are valued higher than ever. Um, ratings are higher. Um, the, the, the collection of talent is probably deeper in terms of just stars um, than, we, than we've had in a long time. So if everything is working, why would you try to fix something that isn't broken? I think sometimes the NBA, you know, they want to be seen as this progressive, forward-thinking, um, you know, business, and I, and, it, and I appreciate them for being that way. But sometimes you can shoot yourself in the foot when mm. you try to be too creative and you try to break the traditions that we get so used to seeing, um, you know, say, okay, you, you cut the season down to 75 or 60, whatever games. What's going to happen whenever you have an all time scoring list? Yeah. You just throw that away. Yeah. You throw away all the rebounding numbers. You throw away your entire history for this moment right now. And then, and then you say, you tell you tell the players that, what are you playing for now? Mm-hmm. What are these stats that you're accumulating worth? Mm-hmm. If if you say for these four seasons or whatever, and it may not work, oh, we got to go back to the A2 game system. You just threw away four years of 450 players' careers mm-hmm. because now they're no longer allowed to be a part of this great history, legacy that you've created over time, um, the foundation for a league to be where it is now, where it's in this place where guys are making 40, 50 million a year now, <laughs> which is just insane. But – you, it was built off of a lot of traditions that I don't think we need to break away from. Um, you don't need to have midseason tournaments. You don't need to have all these things that sound cute and flashy in general. Do that with the G League. Have fun mm-hmm. with that. Experiment all day with that. But when you're talking about, like right now, LeBron James is on track to say he can catch Kareem, right? It'd be amazing. Which would be an amazing accomplishment yeah. knowing – um, how he has a reputation for not necessarily being a scorer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we just marvel at just his ability to be such an all-around great player. He could go down number one scorer, you know, top ten rebounder and top five assist guy, which, you know, in some people's eyes, they'll say he's the GOAT just based mm-hmm. off solely statistics. Because too many years from now, kids will look at him and be like, wow, look at those numbers LeBron James put right. up. And, like, right now we're arguing over championships and all these other things, that um, killer instinct and all these other arguments we make, you know. But 
the argument won't be ours in 20 years. For LeBron, if he's chasing those numbers, he can make that case just off statistics. And if you cut the season down, <laughs> you're still going to find guys who take games off. Mm-hmm. You're still going to find guys who say, well, I need rest. You're still going to find um, situations where just guys are going to get hurt because this is the nature of this game. When you have these type of athletes, you know, um, you know, muscles, tendons popping, you know, because, you know, you, it's an explosive sport, jumping, you know, running, all these things you have to do nonstop. It's going to wear on your body. Um, I don't think the league necessarily needs to shorten the season. What I think the league needs to do and what players need to start doing is wondering about how much time they they put into playing basketball mm. where you know you play nonstop like the season's over but guys are training now two a days they're doing all this lifting and everything getting ready for next season and so if you're n- never giving your body a break eventually your body's going to break mm-hmm. right and i think that's sort of what's happening is that guys play so much basketball that eventually this this is going to be some wear and tear. Um, that's why I think the Warriors got hurt this year. You know, mm-hmm. they made you make five straight trips to the finals. You know, like I said earlier, you know the bill is going to come due in some way, and I think that's what happened. Um, so I remember talking to Andre Miller once um, when the he professor. the professor, and he's a guy who played what seventeen years in the league, one of the more durable players that that ever played. Never had a major uh, catastrophic injury or anything. And I remember I was like, hey, how, how did you, um, what was your secret? Like, what's the secret to you having such longevity and to be durable, you know, throughout all that? He said, in the offseason, I do nothing. <laughs> and I said, huh? He's like, I don't do anything. I just relax. I chill in the summertime. And when training camps starts, I get back in shape. And I was like, that's interesting. I said, well, you know, guys train year-round. He said, I don't, I don't do that. He said, because I, I, that's my off season. I need that time to just let my body recover so I can come back and play in the season. And this is a guy who had a very long career. And like I said, he never had a major injury. Now, everybody's different. Everybody works differently. The bodies aren't the same. But I think that, you know, maybe we tar- start thinking about how guys train and just the amount of time you put into basketball. I'm not saying you don't try to get better. You don't try to improve. But I'm saying that you don't push yourself to the limit to where eventually your body gives. Right, right. But that's that's my thought on that. No, no, no. That's that's great. I love the Andre Miller story. Um, <laughs> yeah, we. Um, you've been so generous with your time, but I, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you one more question. No, if we, I could. we can go. I don't care. I got time. Okay. All right. So I, then, I, then I'll go with two more questions here, because <laughs> as long as we're doing it, there's a very interesting narrative. I, I should I should say as we're having this conversation, it looks very much like Kyrie Irving is going to be on the Brooklyn Nets next year, and D'Angelo Russell is might be a Laker. They're talking about him for the Timberwolves as well. Yeah, the Suns, I think, are interested. The Suns well. are apparently super desirous of D'Angelo Russell, and I'll say that D'Angelo Russell is one of the three or four players I enjoyed watching most this past year. Just watching his improvement, watching yeah. the in between game watching him hit a lot of clutch shots, the ice water in the veins. <laughs> My son was re- doing that on the court, the whole <laughs> touching the veins and whatnot. Um, there's a very interesting media narrative that's going out there that's saying, which would have been unimaginable a year ago, that's saying, well, why should the Nets take Kyrie Irving over D'Angelo Russell? Mm. You know, if, you're th- if you think about things like factor in 
Kyrie Irving's injury history, Kyrie Irving's, shall we say, um, chemistry breakdown in Boston, <laughs> and Kyrie Irving's age relative to Russell, about five years younger. Like, is it that necessarily, pardon the expression, a slam dunk that you would take Kyrie Irving over D'Angelo Russell? And, or is this just the media sort of taking a narrative and running out of control with it, and it's absurd to not take Kyrie Irving over D'Angelo Russell? What? I'm, I'm are, are, you, are you are you there? I'm, are, I'm with the latter that it's absurd that you wouldn't take. Kyrie are you soured on Kyrie at all, or do I you am. just view it as a? Are, are you soured on I, Kyrie? I, I'm I'm soured a bit. He he's got to do some uh, serious uh, reputation rehab mm-hmm. in Brooklyn. Um, I was one of those people who really supported his move from Cleveland. Um, I thought that it was a great um, power move. Um, he beat LeBron to the punch. He got out before he yeah. did. And seemed he, like a great landing spot. With he, young he, joined, he joined a fantastic organization with a great coach, uh, a front office that seems to do things right. And I felt that it was going to be a good move for him um, to try to see what he could handle, um, you know, as, as a frontline guy. And I thought that he played pretty well his first year there, that the team was playing well, and then he got hurt. And then something happened that knocked him off course, you know, due with the injury that the Celtics made to the conference finals without him. And for me, it was, uh, it was I thought it would be good for Kyrie to see this, that he actually had some talented guys mm-hmm. that he played with. But he took the wrong approach to this season. Mm. He, he came into the year thinking that he needed to be a leader. And if that's not inside of you, if that's not in you, you can't force it. And mm-hmm. you definitely can't force it on guys who went to the conference finals without you. Mm-hmm. And I think he came in – thinking that he needed to be something that he isn't when what he really needed to do was just be a closer, do your job, go out there, get clutch buckets, be a playmaker, score and do all the other things, but don't try to lead. Mm -hmm. That's not, that's not what you do. You know, it's never been what you do. When you, before LeBron got there, Cleveland was a lottery team every year because that's not what you do. Right. Um, Lead in your own way. Mm -hmm. Right. If you could lead in the sense that, you just go out there, work hard, play hard, and give it your all every day. Guys will follow that. But, you know, going in post-game press conferences and talking about the young guys don't want it or they don't know this and they don't understand that and saying, well, I'm trying to be a leader. No leader announces that they're a leader. Yeah. Right? Guys follow who they want to follow. And I think that was one of the situations that sort of derailed Boston's season is that, you know, Kyrie got too caught up and thinking that he needed to be whatever LeBron was as a leader or whatever he read about as a leader. If that's not who you are, don't do not do that. So, yeah, that soured me a lot, and he, he derailed that, that whole season because of his attitude, um, because of his moodiness. And I don't get too caught up in, like, you know, the, the, the flat flat world arguments yeah, and some of the other things that, you know, sort of became his, distractions. His, his interesting uh, scientific beliefs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that I think that, you know, one thing we forget with a lot of these guys is that they're young and that they, they're, they're maturing and they're, growing th- they're going through life and they're discovering things. Um, I mean, he clearly has, has a lot of free time. He goes on YouTube a lot, probably more than he needs to be. But... That's him, and I and I think you know uh, my favorite line um, from Muhammad Ali was uh, you know he said if I see the world at at, us, at sixty the way I mm-hmm. did at thirty then I would have wasted thirty years of my life. Um, you know Kyrie's going through it where he's seeing the world differently. He's, he's maturing. He's growing, and I think that we got to give him a chance to sort of figure out who he is. 
But, but, but despite everything you just said, you still think that it's a no-brainer to take Kyrie Irving to replace D'Angelo From Russell. a basketball perspective, yeah. That's a no-brainer. Yeah, just because of, of what he can do. Just more um, supremely skilled yeah, than, and, than D'Lo. And, and for me, for me um, as an, if I'm a Nets person or a Nets fan, the Nets had D'Angelo for two years. Mm-hmm. They saw him up close for two years. They know the work that he put in this year. They also know the work he may not have put in last year, mm-hmm. right? And so – um, they know who they have, mm-hmm. and if they're like, mm, yeah, maybe we won't give you a max. Like mm-hmm. they're if they're feeling a little, having a little doubt, a little apprehension about it, then I trust them, mm-hmm. right? Because they had an opportunity to see this and for for up up front, you know, uh, they saw him every day. They know what his commitment is, and um, I'm not gonna try to knock D'Angelo, but I, there is something that to be said for whenever guys figure it out in their contract here. Mm-hmm. And I'm not gotcha. – and that, that happens sometimes where guys, like, say, okay, this is my contract here. I got to turn it on and so I can get paid, right? And what happens when you give guys money? You know, I remember uh, – I'm not going to say the player's name. I just don't want to call him out like this. But I remember talking to a front office executive once about a player who was up for um, – he was a restricted free agent. And he said, well, the one thing I worry about him is, like, what's going to happen when we give him money? Mm. And, like, is he really going to put in the work that he put in? And I'm not saying that D'Angelo won't put in the work because he clearly did put in the work last season. But I think some organizations, when they when they go through the process of trying to figure out paying guys, they take that into consideration. It's, if if we give this guy money, is he going to stay committed to his craft and getting better? Or is he going to say, I made it and get comfortable? And for me, that's one of the things – I think it might be good for D'Angelo to go somewhere else because he'll have to go somewhere with something to prove. Whereas if he stays in Brooklyn, he might say, okay, I made it. I'm good. I'm set. Right. And so that, that's, that's where, that's, that's where I look at it. If, if Brooklyn is like, we're not really confident that giving him this money is going to work out well, then I, I would trust him. If you're D'Angelo's uh, management does going back to the Lakers sound attractive to you with LeBron and AD or does that just seem like you're grit- I hate to put it this way, but returning to the scene of the crime, that was the early part of your career. Yeah, I mean, but if you're going back more mature, you're going back uh, a part of a more talented team, you're going back with a lot less pressure to produce, then I think that um, you know it might be a great environment because he doesn't have to worry about being a leader. There's two guys out front mm-hmm. who are going to have to deal with all the pressure. Maybe I just like his game too much. Maybe I'm just old and I like that he plays the in-between mid-range. That's true. It is good. Yeah. Yeah. It just reminds me of people I grew up watching. So I'm just <laughs> like, oh, I love D-Lo. Um, <laughs> well, bef- before before you go, I, the, the other question I, w- I really wanted to ask you is um, I think everybody's league pass team. I'm asking you this because you are now uh, the national NBA writer for the athletics. You've got a view on all these teams. Um, I think everybody's league pass team uh, this year is going to be the Pelicans because people are going to be curious about Zion. Uh, they're going to be curious about Lonzo in a new setting. I mean, there's just yeah. there's just a lot of there there that's going to make them an interesting watch. For sure. On an off night. And I'm, I'm high on Brandon Ingram. I hope he comes back from his injury. Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, there's, there's more than enough talent there to yeah. make this a very interesting team. And uh, I wanted to ask you, are there any other league pass teams that you have your eye on that you think will be very interesting to watch next year, even if they're not going to win 60 games? 
the team that I'm probably most excited about is Atlanta. Oh, interesting, yeah. Um, yep. Because I like what um, they're doing. I like what they're building. Um, I think they had – I mean, I don't know if it's going to turn out, but I like what they did in the draft. I think that they took, um, you know, two really good uh, prospects um, and that they'll have a chance to really develop and grow with uh, Trey Young. Who, Cam Reddish. Yeah, Cam Reddish. Yeah, <laughs> the great yeah, unknown that is Cam Reddish. Yeah, I mean, he's he's a mystery. He's an enigma. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think that that was probably the best landing spot for him because – you know, Lloyd Pierce has sort of this sort of laid back kind of demeanor, but he's also demanding, and I think that's the kind of coach that he needs. He comes from the the process in Philadelphia where they have patience with guys and they know how to develop them. And then you have you know um, um, you know Schlenk, um the GM, you know, come from the Warriors and they have a vision for how they want to build a team, you know, th- from from the ground up. I think that's the one thing that's sort of missed in the whole Warriors mm-hmm. is that that was an organically built powerhouse they added kevin durant mm-hmm. later but like they built it the right way and so I mean, atlanta could win that division if you look at the train wreck that oh is the wizards the, the hornets the hornets if if, if the Miami magic loses yeah. uh no vucevic, vucevic is gonna stay he's gonna stay yeah, yeah uh jimmy butler could wind up in miami um okay but uh and so that could be intriguing but um but atlanta looks looks feisty. but atlanta looks like they could be a fun team like that's the team that i want to see you know what what comes of them um you know, another team that I hope gets on TV a little bit more next year is uh, Utah. Mm-hmm. Um, I like Mike Conley a lot. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a big Conley booster. I think that he he hates the phrase being underrated because he thinks he should he should he's not underrated. He knows how good he is, but excuse me, being a part of a, a team that could actually win something and that pairing with Donovan Mitchell, I think it's mm-hmm. gonna be fun. Um, and uh, but yeah, th- those are probably the the, the team, two teams that sort of jump out to me, um, you know. And also, I'm, I'm intrigued by the Celtics, you know, because I really want to see the two Jays. I want to see yeah. Jalen and, and uh, Jason Tatum. Is Kemba Walker, who, as we're doing this podcast, we know has been signed by uh, the Celtics. Do you see him? As, he's never had to be a distributor. Yeah. Before. Can you see him playing that role? I think he. I think he'll be able to really thrive in that, you know, because. Um, He's never had a really talented talent like this. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Who can score and that he could play with. And I think that playing with Brad Stevens' system, he just sort of has an attitude where he's played eight years. You got to remember, that guy was on a seven win team (laughs) his rookie year. So he's been through a lot in Charlotte. So having the opportunity to play for a competitive contender. I think it's it's going to be a good situation for him. I think he'll adjust his game accordingly because he knows there are ways that he can grow. I think he scored a lot of points because he had to, yeah. but not necessarily because he wanted to. And now we'll have a chance to just be a part of a team and, and flourish. And, and, and you know, I, I'm excited to see what, what comes of it. But I'm, all, I'm more intrigued by the two Js. I think that, you know, with Kyrie gone, that they'll have a chance to really – show what they're made of you got to remember these guys were number three picks Mm -hmm. they weren't necessarily thrown out there thrust out to the forefront like most guys who are taking that high are but now they have to perform Mm -hmm. at at their draft stat Mm -hmm. status you know they have to perform at the level of what you of a franchise foundational piece so i'm excited for them too and then and then also just because i find this discussion to be so interesting um comps for zion everybody's trying to figure it out you hear the young Charles Barkley 
I said uh, pre-back injury, Larry Johnson. Yeah. Um, which a lot of people don't remember what that was like. But he also, he's a little more hoppy. I don't know how else to put it than pre-back injury, Larry Johnson. Like the way he, he's this constant movement. Uh, does does I, he remind I was, you of anybody? I, I, I described him as the iPhone version of the rotary Rodney Rogers. Interesting. So you know how you know how the phone of has course. progressed over the years, and now we can uh, got all these apps and everything. Uh, That's well, interesting. Uh, Rodney Rogers was the rotary phone. Mm-hmm. He's the iPhone version of that. Wow, the so, iPhone version of Rodney Rogers. Wow. So he, he's an advancement of of that. You know that lefty power um, mm-hmm. that can just you know get in there and just physically overpower folks. I, I used to love Rodney Rogers when he was at Wake. So oh, yeah. Um, when I when I when I first saw him play, I was like, man, he reminds me of Rodney Rogers. So that <laughs> that that's that's that. that's my comparison. And, and uh, anybody that saw him at Wake knows that that's not a that's not a slight. No, not not in the least. <laughs> well, hey, M- Michael Lee, thank you so much for joining us here on the Edge of Sports podcast. I, I usually ask you uh, what kind of music that you're listening to these days, but uh, we can't exactly play the music anymore on the pod, but. I guess I'll just add, what lately have you been playing for uh, for your son as a way to educate him on the world of music? Where? You know, I'm doing a lot of old school um, R&B. Mm. Yeah, and, uh, and just not like from the 70s through the 90s. And, uh, and, and I feel like I'm, I'm doing well as a father when, um, when uh, there was a rainy, it was raining outside and my son was like, Sunny days. I knew that was coming. I was like, yes, yes. You, uh, it's it's uh-huh. coming through. It, it's sinking in. Wow. You hear Ralph Tresvant in the background. Yeah. <laughs> we got to play a little clip of that. <laughs> Tell me, baby, can you stand the rain? Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. No, that's good parenting right there. I, I, I gave myself power on the back, you know. So <laughs> <laughs> Forget potty training and anything else. He, he knows new edition. That's awesome. <laughs> hey, Michael. Hey, man, thanks so much for Thank joining you, us. Thank you, man. man. Thanks for having it. me. That's fantastic. Uh, we'll be back right after this with a quick word by the sponsor of this podcast, The Nation Magazine. We'll be back right after this, but first, a quick word from the sponsor of this podcast, The Nation Magazine. Okay, look, the need for independent journalism has never been more important, and The Nation brings it each and every week like they've been doing since 1865. I'm serious. This is what you gotta read. It's The Nation Magazine. Go to thenation.com slash subscribe, and please never forget that when you support The Nation Magazine, you are also supporting the continued existence of this podcast. So please subscribe. Go to www.thenation.com slash subscribe. And now, back to the Edge of Sports podcast. And now I've got some choice words about Megan Rapino. Okay, look. In 1966, Muhammad Ali, speaking off the cuff, uttered a quote for the ages when he learned he could be drafted into the army. He blurted out, I ain't got no quarrel with them Viet Cong. It was a bracing statement said before the anti-Vietnam War movement had reached any kind of critical mass. His words gave confidence to college-aged anti-war activists being dismissed as cowardly and irrelevant. This one sentence also pushed the young black freedom fighters of the day to connect the war abroad with the war they were facing at home. The police dogs, the water hoses, the bullets. Words have power. Truth has power. 
and athletes, when they use their platform to speak truth to power, can change the world. Now, Mark Twain said famously that history doesn't repeat itself, but it does rhyme. And we may have had a rhyming moment this past week, thanks to U.S. women's national soccer team star Megan Rapinoe. No, Rapinoe is not Muhammad Ali. No one is. But she did uncork a similar kind of statement, the kind that makes your hair stand on end like it was hit with an electrical current, the kind that upsets all the right people. In a video released by 8x8 Magazine this week of an interview that took place in January, she was asked about this team visiting Trump's White House after the tournament. She said in a similarly off-the-cuff manner, even with a hint of annoyance, I'm not going to the fucking White House. Last Thursday, during a press conference right before the U.S. team faced and defeated France in the Women's World Cup quarterfinals, she told reporters, I stand by the comments I made about not wanting to go to the White House. Now, after two years of individual baseball and football players, as well as entire NBA teams shunning this president, usually with rarely spoken motivations, Rapino made it clear and made it plain. She didn't talk around the objections so many athletes have with a bigoted president who cages children. She just said it and let the chips fall. Now, Donald Trump flipped his wig with a bizarre multi-tweet rant where he quoted black unemployment statistics, which made many wonder if he thought Megan Rapinoe was in fact African-American. He then, in a bizarre turnaround, invited the team to the White House. But Trump's blather didn't make much of a dent in anything. Rapino's words seemed to give confidence to her teammates to speak forcefully, taking some of the weight and spotlight off of her shoulders. Ali Krieger said, In regards to the president's tweet today, I know women you cannot control or grope anger you, but I stand by Megan and I will sit this one out as well. I don't support this administration nor their fight against LGBTQ citizens, immigrants, and our most vulnerable. Teammate and star player Alex Morgan has also said she has no intention of visiting the White House, telling Time Magazine in May that she doesn't stand for a lot of things the current office stands for. Now, Rapino, as I wrote two weeks ago and said on this podcast, has already made her bones at the collision of sports and politics, kneeling in solidarity with Colin Kaepernick and for LGBTQ rights, as well as being outspoken for human rights and social justice at every turn. She calls herself, quote, a walking protest, end quote, against Trump. And in comments published last month, Rapino said she believes Trump to be a sexist, misogynist, and racist. She is a member of the organization Athletes for Impact, which aims to support outspoken jocks for justice. Now Rapino has proudly made herself a target not only of Trump, but also of his state media at Fox News and his social media minions, ready to bombard her with attacks. They will discover what Trump has already found out. Megan Rapino cannot be coerced and will not be compliant. Like Muhammad Ali, Megan Rapino is unbreakable. That fact is precisely what drives the Trumps of this world around the bend, just as surely as Ali did with the generals and armchair imperialists of his day. I'm not going to the fucking White House. Let it ring across the land. We'll be back right after this with a quick word from Edge of Sports. Hey, everybody out there. This is Dave Zirin with the Edge of Sports podcast. 
People got to know that we put this podcast on with elbow grease and, and bubble gum on a weekly basis. And we're proud of the work that we do. We love it. But we can't do it without support from you, the listener. So please go to patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod and support the podcast. That's patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod. Any little bit you might give to support the podcast actually makes a huge difference to the work we're trying to do. That's patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod. We appreciate you. Make no mistake about it. And now, back to the Edge of Sports podcast. Now it's time for the Just Stand Up Award. Just stand up and just sit your ass down. The Just Stand Up Award this week, stand up. for the first time, goes to Seattle Seahawks quarterback Russell Wilson. Uh, Russell Wilson, who's not really known as somebody who just stands up and uses his hyper-exalted Brought to you by Nike Platform to speak out about the world. He posted the widely circulated horrifying photo of the father and daughter on the Mexican side of a river. The dead in each other's arms as they attempted to come to this country. He posted that photo on Instagram saying that the American dream had become a nightmare. And that of course is a quote, a paraphrase of Malcolm X. This is what Russell Wilson wrote. He wrote, I am a descendant of slaves. America didn't mind immigrants then, but now it's 2019 and families are searching for a better way of life for their innocent children. The American dream, it's become a nightmare. Innocent children dying is wrong. Being a descendant of slaves, I'm living the quote unquote American dream. Why couldn't they? As my friend and friend of the program, Jesse Hagopian, a teacher in Seattle said to me, Things must be really awful if Russell Wilson is speaking out. And I just wanted to give credit to Russell Wilson for putting himself out there. It, of course, attracted all the kind of negative attention that gets attracted in 2019 when you dare say that uh, people who are trying to come to this country for asylum are somehow human beings. You dare say that these days and you're going to feel the backlash. Russell Wilson took that on and spoke in stark terms. Um about a situation that is uh, beyond the boundaries of humanity. So thank you, Russell Wilson, for that. I hope it's just the first in many statements by you because we need all hands on deck as we head towards 2020. The Just Sit Your Ass Down Award. Sit your ass down! And this one is a bit of a pile-on because a lot of folks are telling this person to just sit down and he's lost his job so it's almost superfluous to say something about this but I was just so disgusted by a guy named Kevin Keatsman hope I'm pronouncing that right or frankly I don't really care uh, who was suspended last week from his Kansas City sports radio talk show Between the Lines and this is what he said that got him suspended he said Andy Reid talking about the coach of the Kansas City Chiefs He said, Andy Reid, talking about the coach of the Kansas City Chiefs, does not have a great record of fixing players. He doesn't. Discipline is not his thing. It did not work out particularly well in his family life, and that needs to be added to this as we're talking about the Chiefs. He wasn't real great at that either. He's had a lot of things go bad on him, family and players. He is not good at fixing people. He is not good at discipline. That is not his strength. His strength is designing football plays. Now, people interpreted this as Keatsman referring to Andy Reid's son, Garrett, 
who died in 2012 of an accidental heroin overdose while at Eagles training camp. And a lot of people uh, criticized Keatsman for his comments. ESPN's Lewis Riddick, this is what he wrote. Whoever this clown is that said this, you are trash for referencing Andy Reid and his family and his son. You don't fix people. To speak about another man's child is out of bounds. Now, Keatsman has since apologized. He still lost his job. All the things like that. But I got to say, like, I was just so disgusted with the original statement itself that I had to put him on this list and tell him, Kevin Keatsman, to just sit your ass down. I'll also throw on this list Bob Kraft, that paragon of moral virtue uh, who owns the New England Patriots. Bob Kraft announced this week that he was donating $30 million to start an organization to fight the boycott, divestment, and sanctions movement against Israel. And I just, it, it struck me for a couple of reasons. First and foremost, anybody and everybody who talks about uh, the importance of separating politics from sports and athletes shouldn't make political statements. They never make those same statements when it comes to the political pet projects of quote-unquote owners. So Bob Kraft gets a free pass to give $30 million to fight against the grassroots activists who are working in a nonviolent movement for the people of Palestine. So there's something very oppressive. It's, it's something about fighting their free speech. And there's also about the hypocrisy of this that just drives me around the bend. And you think about the grassroots activists and organizations like If Not Now and Jewish Voice for Peace and Students for Justice in Palestine trying to fight on a grassroots level to bring some measure of justice and accountability to the Israeli state and some measure of support to the Palestinian people. And here's billionaire Bob Kraft taking his NFL-earned millions and just writing a check for $30 million. It just, it just makes you realize what we're up against and what we're fighting against. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. Thank you so much to Michael Lee. Thank you so much to everybody out there listening. Please support the show at patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod. Please support the primary sponsor of this podcast, The Nation Magazine. For everybody out there, please go to our iTunes page. Give us a rating. Give us a little comment. We know you are out there enjoying the show, and we appreciate you. Every single one of our listeners, we absolutely appreciate. You can always contact me, Dave Zirin, at edgeofsports at gmail.com or at Edge of Sports on Twitter. For everybody out there, please stay frosty. We are out of here. Peace.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.